Sabbath. We're glad to have you here, a few of you here in the sanctuary and some that are going to be watching remotely. We had a cool week. Winter has begun. We had snow out at our place this morning. I don't know if you had it in town, but a little bit of snow this morning. So welcome to winter. Let's bow our heads to start prayer this morning for our service. Dear Father, we're thankful for the way that you care for us so lovingly, so carefully. And this morning, as we learn about our part in serving you, we pray that you would bless. Help us to see a little more clearly what we can do to further your kingdom so that we can join you there in the home that you've prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you feel about your abilities to serve God? About using you to reach others for him? You love him and you love others. You want to be used by him to reach others, but you have all these other issues that get in the way. It's rare to have someone who feels ready to go, ready to accomplish something, like the whole world's been waiting for my arrival and no one else can do this job without me or as well as I do it. That would be a rare attitude. Most of us are nervous. We feel insecure. We feel like... We're inadequate for the job, and we wonder even what our job is. We want to reach others for him, but we feel so useless, so weak. And besides that feeling we have, we come up with all kinds of excuses to validate that feeling. I can't talk in front of other people. I don't know what to say. I don't have enough, whatever it is, to help people. Enough food, enough money, enough talents, enough room. Any other of the resources we think we need for the job. A long, long time one for me was I'm too shy. And a lot of us have that. We also say, I've never learned how to do whatever it is that we think we should be doing. And, of course, we can all say, there's lots of people who are better at that than I am. Or, I don't know how to start. So, what do we do? Today, I'm going to talk about five examples from the Bible, five stories that we're going to look at in the Bible that talk about those inadequacies that we all have 
and how God can make them good. Let's start with 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44. A short version here that that's uh, about dividing the loaves that we don't often look at here. 2 Kings 4, 42. A man came from Baal Shalasha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat. So he had to repeat himself. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some leftover. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some leftover, according to the word of God. So somebody had 20 loaves of bread. And they're going to have set it before 100 men. Okay, so that's how many people? Five people working on each loaf. That's not much, but if you glance at the paragraphs right before this, my Bible labels that section starting in verse 38 as death in the pot is what it labels this. So they just had ate something that was not very healthy and they got sick. So maybe five loaves would be enough uh, for in that case, right? Because that could be why they had leftovers. That stew was, had already made them sick. So a few loaves. So let's go to the, the loaf story that you're more familiar with for our second one. Mark 6, 35 to 44. And this is one of the only stories that's in all four Gospels, by the way. So it must have been pretty important to share. Mark 6, 36, or 35, sorry, 35 to 44. By this time, it was late in the day. This is because Jesus had been sharing with these people, teaching them. So his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. You're out in the boonies, and he says, Feed them. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fishes. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Okay, now the odds are pretty, pretty much uh, pretty bad here, right? The other time the people were sick and so we didn't um, talk about that. But if it's five loaves, that means that they have to cut each loaf into a 
thousand pieces in order to uh, feed everybody. Now, when I make my homemade bread, I cut the loaves into 18 to 20 slices when I make it. So that would be 50 people for each slice of bread. That's not even a bite a piece, really. Um, and that doesn't even include all the women and children that were there besides. So they wouldn't last very long on that kind of diet, would they? Just a few crumbs. And yet it says, let's go to the next verse, 42. They all ate and were satisfied. Would you be satisfied with a crumb when you hadn't eaten all day? And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. There were more leftovers than they started with. How does that make sense? It doesn't to us, but God can do anything. He used those simple five loaves to feed this whole multitude of people. How many loaves do you have? Most of the time, we don't realize how many loaves we have. We don't realize the many ways that we can feed those that are around us, whether physically or spiritually or whatever. But we can do it in other ways. We can take up a loaf of encouragement and offer it to someone. We can serve a loaf of support to a new mom in our neighborhood. We can serve a happy time hiking with our little ones or inviting other little ones that don't get to do that much on our trip. God takes our loaves, whatever they are, whatever we have, and he nourishes the needs of those around us if we take the initiative to get started and let him empower us. So there's that same question, what do you have? Jesus asked it of his disciples, and he asked it of us. For our third story, let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse, starting in verse 14. This one's called the parable of the talents. Moving from bread to talents now. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, another one talent, each according to his ability. So somehow he assessed what they were capable of doing when he gave them these talents. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So he doubled his. So also the one with two talents gained two more, also doubling. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. How often do we hide what few talents we do have instead of doubling them by starting to use them and grow? After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. He knew it was few, even when he gave it to him. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. He didn't say even less things than the other guy. He used the same term for both of them. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. Giving God back what belongs to him is okay? No. His master then called him a wicked and lazy servant. God gives us a talent that we are to use, not just hand it back, which is what this guy did. This whole story after that is then uh, followed by a description of the judgment. Verses 31 to 46, we're not going to read all that, but this is the story about um, when God comes to this earth and divides the sheep from the goats is, is the term that is used. Those that have used their talents and those that have not. Um, so let's just kind of scan down through that part, not, not reading it all. But what is it, what are they judged by or on? Look in um, starting verse 30, 35 there. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. Okay, how many times have we had opportunities to feed someone, share our food? I heard someone just this morning sharing, thanks for the soup. So somebody must have provided soup this week for someone. So that's sharing a talent right there. Somehow we get in our brain that a talent is being able to sing or preach or no it can be stirring a pot of soup something that simple okay next i was thirsty and you gave me something to drink how easy is that hand someone a cup of water i was a stranger and you invited me in a little more involved to invite someone in when you don't even know them maybe even considered a little risky but with some forethought and planning and prayer and guidance, God can help us with even those tasks. The next one, I needed clothes, and you clothed me. Now, um, I don't know about you. Probably most of you are kind of like I am. I have more clothes than I can fit in my dresser or in my closet. It's bulging. Couldn't I share? We could do something as simple as cleaning the closet and sharing that. Yes. And 
Next, I was sick and you looked after me. When friends are sick, that's a little harder to do nowadays. We're isolated from doing some of that, but we can do simple things, you know, taking some food or whatever. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That one we're not allowed to do right now, but I know someone in the audience that is very regular about that kind of thing. And you can, I don't know, can you do it from a distance? No, not really. Okay. Well, we'll wait for the time when we can do that again. So there are not lot there are a lot of talents that we can share that are very simple ones. So, what is the talents that really count? They don't list getting good grades in school in that list, do they? It doesn't say anything about um, being talented musically. How many evangelistic sermons you've put out or Bible studies that you have given. All of these things are important, yes, but they can also be very simple things in our head anyway. They're all good. So feeding others, how many loaves do you have? Even a little can go a long way, as we just learned in these stories that were shared. And we can do that long distance, too. You know, we have ADRA that has a great program where $1 a day can feed a kid in some countries and take care of them well for that day. Something as simple as $1. We can do that remotely, stick it in the envelope and send it on its way. We can uh, keep them healthy enough so they can grow and use their mind in school. The drink we already mentioned is not hard or expensive. Clothing, prison. Um, but prison isn't just the buildings that we have over here. There are other kinds of prisons that we can visit. There's the prison of loneliness. This is a real big one now when we're isolated from each other. A phone call can make a huge difference. That's a talent that all of us have. We can take the time to do that. Talking to people that are alone, especially. Um, we can give a gentle touch on the back. You won't be able to hug them so much maybe, but um, even a smile makes a big difference. And have you learned that even with a mask on, you can tell someone's smiling by the way their eyes crinkle? So even that is something that we can give and offer people support. Some people getting very depressed through this um, time. It is hard. Um, so listen. Take time to listen on the phone. Encourage. Be a friend. We can also do some work helping people, giving a helping hand. We've done that many times. People that are addicted. There are many addictions that keep people from functioning well. We can be there to encourage them, support them through their tough time and pray for them. Prayer is a powerful thing. That is a talent we all have, something every one of us can do no matter what our condition or where we live or anything. All of these things are showing God's love. 
Are we worried about reaching others? God can reach others through us. And in fact, it helps us reach God through others. Because when we reach out, it grows us inside, in our heart and mind. So it works both ways, for our growth and for others' growth. The big promise in this section is in verse 40. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Any of these things we've been talking about as possible talents to share, gifts to give, we're doing it for God. Wow, how rewarding. These acts connect us more closely with God in our minds, in our hearts. We're doing it to him and for him both. Okay, for our fourth story, let's go to Exodus. Exodus 3. This one kind of humors me. Moses. Starting in verse 1. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flocks to the far side of the desert, came to Horah of the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way. The Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Doesn't that sound exciting? And a big job God's giving him? God's really going. And what does the next verse start in my Bible? The next verse starts with the word but. But Moses said to God, how often do we start our replies with the word but? But I can't do that. But I don't have enough money and all those things that we already talked about. What does Moses say? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I, I, I. Too often our excuses are about myself, right? Me, it's me. I can't do that, I can't. But what does God say in the next verse? And God said, 
I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. So God used the same two eyes that Moses was all worried about, I can't, and God answered him, I have sent you. And it's the same for us. God has sent us. Then God uses the you, you, in the next few. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, he doesn't say, I will work through you in that sentence, does he? He says, when you bring the people out of Egypt. So he knows that Moses can do it. God can empower us to do whatever it is we need to do. But Moses still has to whine. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? He still isn't very strong about this. He's insecure. So God answered him once again. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God told him, go and say this. He even gave him the words to say. Are you nervous sometime about talking to people? Yeah, I am. I mentioned I grew up feeling very shy, but if you pray about it, God will give you the words to say and the energy to say them. And so God told, you know, went on and told him a little more detail uh, in the next few verses. Then go down to, to uh, chapter 4 there, verse 1. Moses answered next. He, he says, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? More excuses, right? What ifs. We have all the what ifs. Well, what if I go over there and they get mean or... What if I go over there and they rob me or whatever? You know, all these different thoughts pass through our head. The what ifs. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? What do you have? God can use whatever you have, whether it's five loaves and two fishes or what was it? Moses answered, a staff. Okay, a staff. You've got a stick. What is a stick worth? Can it be worth anything, a stick? Moses is out there in the desert, walking around, watching the sheep. What do you have? Oh, all I have is a stick. Doesn't sound like much, but what did that stick do when put in the hands of God? It made other people stick, turned to snakes. It opened the Red Sea, so they all those hundreds of thousands of Israelites could walk across. That stick did an amazing amount of things because God could use that stick, right? Or God's works could go through that stick. Something happened even with just a little stick. Wow, what do you have? 
then God, we won't read it all, but God showed him right then three different miracles that he could use that stick for. Um, Oh, they weren't all for the stick, sorry. He did show him three miracles, though. Okay, so he, put, he had the one where he had him put his hand in his, in his um, coat, and he pulled it out, and it was leprosy, all leprous. And then he put it back in and pulled it out, and it was all clean again. So God showed him that miracle that he could use. Um, I got lost here. That's, oh, here. Um, I went too far down. They did, he right away showed him the, the staff miracle first. Had him throw it on the ground, it became a snake, which later happened to others, and then he could pick it up. So that was the first one. Okay, and then the third one, um, he had him take some water and pour it on the ground, and it became blood. Now, those... Miracles were done later when he got back um, to where he had lived in Egypt. But God can use exactly what will happen. How does God finish? Uh, oh, let's go to verse 10 now. Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So he had a speaking problem, and uh, he was trying to use that as an excuse. But every time he gave him an excuse, God had an answer. Verse 13, another excuse. Lord, please send someone else to do it. So God obliged. How many times did Moses keep coming up with an excuse? And God had an answer for every single one of them. He sent Aaron to go with him. So if you can't talk well, he'll help you speak. If you want someone else, maybe he'll give you a partner to do it with you. Finally, in verse 18, it says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. So he finally quit whining. Have you ever heard of a whinier leader than this Moses? Full of all the buts and I can'ts. And if God can use Moses in such a mighty way as he did, then he can use each one of us, right? The choice is ours. Like Moses, our legs lock as if we are paralyzed. Our tongue swells and we can't speak. Our mind races down a tunnel to the past where we failed God, and out of our mouth pops, Who am I, Lord? But God's response to Moses' inadequacy is beautiful. He doesn't laugh at him and agree that indeed Moses was a sorry failure in the past. He simply tells Moses, I will be with you. The responsibility for rescuing the Israelites remained with God, even when Moses was commanded to head up the committee. Neither our giftedness 
nor our past failures is the issue. We cannot ruin God's purpose except by, but, but, butting his requests in our lives. The responsibility remains with God, but the choice to be involved with him is ours. We have the choice to go ahead and follow that. And how did that end? When God was telling him how it was all going to work out, he told him that they, he would be plundering the Egyptians. And that is exactly what happened. They plundered all right. They plundered right into the Red Sea. God working through Moses. Okay, for our last Bible story, let's go to 2 Kings again. This time we're going to read in the chapter before that, verse chapter 4, the story of the widow's oil, verses 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Scary for a mom. You don't want to lose your kids as slaves. Many times we do lose our kids, but God can help us bring them back or keep them. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Same question, what do you have? Still coming back again. She answered him, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. So she did have something, a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Now what if she had followed his advice and gotten way more? She could have had more oil, right? It was her choice how many jars she filled by how many she collected. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So she had enough for right then. It was sufficient oil. Now, does it hit you at all that when she said, all I have is a little oil? In the New Testament, there's a story of some people who are getting ready for a wedding, and they had to wait for the bridegroom. We're getting ready for a wedding up in heaven. We're waiting for the bridegroom to come, right? And what did those ladies lack that were waiting they waited so long that their oil ran out so their lamps could not burn, right? All they needed was a little oil. That's what this lady has. That's what we need, a little oil, 
enough oil to last during that waiting time so that our lights can still keep burning so others can see God in us and draw us closer to God. We need that little oil. How do we get that oil? Connect with the source. The oil represents the Holy Spirit, and God is more than happy to give the Holy Spirit to all of us. All we have to do is connect with him and ask for it. We'll have that oil. Whatever else we have in our hand is actually secondary to the oil. We need that oil in order to make those other things useful and serviceable to, our, to whoever we are trying to help. We need that Holy Spirit in our lives, not just to grow us, but to help us grow others. It works together. God can use us, no matter our talents or lack thereof, if we are willing and we make ourselves available to him to be used by him through the power of the Holy Spirit. God can provide. He can take whatever you have and make enough of it. What do you have for God to work with? Because when there's not enough of you, there's always more of God. Take what you have left and offer it to him and watch him make it enough in abundance. Say to him, here am I, Lord. Send me. Just like Isaiah said, we all can be used by God for him to bring others with us for that grand, glorious meeting day. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Father, we are thankful that you care about each one of us. That you have an answer for all our buts and all our inadequacies. You have the Holy Spirit that can grow in us our talents, our gifts, to be used to reach others for you so that we can all be together in your kingdom. Guide us this week that we will have opportunities and take advantage of those opportunities through you and the power that you give us to reach others for you so that we can all spend eternity together, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.